As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A and B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined as always by Ari Wasserman. Ari, we've had a uh, star-studded list of guests on this year's podcast. We've had Eddie George, we've had Jack Sawyer, we've had Joshua Perry, but I don't know if any of them top our main man, Rudy Fink, who has joined us on 4 to 6 with A and B. Rudy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. And for anyone listening to this who's asking, who is Rudy Fink? No offense, Rudy. Rudy <laughs> won our NCAA tournament bracket pool. He kicked my ass. He kicked Ari's ass. He beat everybody else who was in that pool. So if you were in that pool and you lost, this is the man that beat you. And his prize for winning that bracket pool is he gets to come on four to six with A and B and be a co-host for the day. I think that's a pretty good prize, but has anybody ever had every single team of their NCAA tournament eliminated before the Sweet 16? Because I don't think I had a single team live uh, by the time the second weekend of that tournament started. So kudos to you, Rudy, because that was a tough that was a tough tournament. Yeah, that was a weird one. Normally, I'm really awful at those, but this was just a lucky year, I suppose. Rudy had Baylor winning the whole thing. I went back and looked because it felt like it was this like six years ago, but it wasn't wasn't that long ago. Uh, Rudy had Baylor winning the whole thing. I think even if Baylor would have lost, you maybe still would have won. I didn't do enough research to know that for a fact, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, what do you have any strategy for the folks, Rudy, listening to this who've never won their bracket pool before and, and want to be on a podcast in, in future years? How do you win an NCAA tournament pick them? The only thing is, don't be that guy who just picks the favorite in every single game. No one likes that guy. Oh God, that's what I did. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, no joke. I, I legitimately, I think I had like three sweet, sweet sixteen teams left after the first day. My strategy was to look at the the Fair spreads, and then if the spread was three possessions or more, so seven or more, then I would pick the team that was favored by three possessions. And if there was a team that was four points or less underdog, I would pick the dog. That's a How'd good that strat. I like it. How'd it worked work out really well. all right this isn't a basketball podcast this is a college football podcast and because rudy won he basically gets to make this show his so he's got some topics he wants the three of us to discuss i thought they were pretty interesting it should make for a good show but rudy man this is we're we're the hosts i guess and you're the co-host in this episode but this is really your show so where are we going first yeah so the first thing I was kind of thinking about is when analyzing the performance that Ryan Day has done over the last two years, it's kind of tough to decouple 
how much of the success is due to him and how much is due to the infrastructure that Urban left in place. Um, so if you, like in baseball, there's a stat called wins above replacement. And it's like, if you just took some random guy out of the minor leagues, how much better are they that they have this other guy instead? So let's apply that to, to Ryan Day. If they just hired, if the Buckeyes, instead of hiring Ryan Day, hired just some average coach, how much worse do you think the Buckeyes would be? Not only over the last two years, but how they've set themselves up in the future due to the recruiting. So I know Ariel loved that last part, but how, well, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that that is a tremendous discussion and like applying the baseball stat to it is a really good way of looking at it because that's a really, really important thing that, you know, you want to discuss about this program. It's, it's how much of this, I think that kind of bleeds into the discussion of how much of this program now is 100% Ryan day. Some people might think it might take one year of people to adjust to his culture, maybe two years and then out to four or five once every single player on the team was 100% recruited by him. So I think there's multiple ways to look at this and it's a very fascinating discussion. Um, Bill, I'll let you start. Well, let's Rudy start. What what do you think? How much do you think uh, this success of the program the last two years is because of Ryan Day's leadership and how much do you think it's because of Urban and what he built? So I think the biggest indicator isn't necessarily the wins and losses, um, but it's the way that they've set themselves up for the future. Like I think any coach could have come in and start and given them a a top 10 recruiting class and could have, you know, won the big 10, but the way Ryan day has come up with like the second best recruiting class and the way I would got into the, the playoff twice um, that's really, I think, on him. So you can you can set, say that they have a pretty high floor given what Urban gave them, but everything on top of that, like the there's actually been recruiting improvements since yeah. Urban left, um, which is absolutely wild. So I think I think all of that all that is on Ryan. I think if you were if you were to tell me that they were just pick the average college football coach, maybe even slightly above average college football coach. And he would have the exact roster set up that Ryan Day had the last two years. I think maybe he can get him to the playoff because all you got to do is win the Big Ten to get in. And we all know how much more talented Ohio State is than, than the Big Ten. But if you don't promote Ryan Day, the roster doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? Like that, that continuity was so important. And, and it makes it hard, I think, to analyze this a little bit because it's, it's a little bit of a harder thing to quantify. But if Ryan Day, I don't know, went to Mississippi State or whatever, he just wasn't here to be promoted. Um, after Urban, and they went out and hired even somebody that people like, um, like the uh, who's the Iowa State guy again? I always forget his Matt name. Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell. Thank you, Matt Campbell. How dare you? They went out and hired. I know everyone loves Matt Campbell. If they went and hired Matt Campbell, who who is a good coach, and I think would do a good job at Ohio State if they hired him. Um, guys would have left, and he would have had to rebuild this somehow. Maybe he could have done it quickly with the transfer portal. Um, I think he would have recruited well eventually because Ohio State recruits itself in some respect. How drastic do you think that would be, Bill? I don't know if I agree. I think a few guys would leave. I don't know that there would be a massive. Well, their quarterback wouldn't be Justin Fields. We can start there. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, if Ryan Day's on here, who's their quarterback? Dave Martell? <laughs> no, you said if Ryan Day wasn't promoted. If Ryan Day was still their offensive coordinator, you still might have Justin Fields. Yeah, but I don't I don't think a new – I guess a new head coach could keep Ryan Day. I guess that's possible. If you're telling me the new head coach keeps Ryan Day, then maybe that's possible. But um, I don't – really see that as a likely scenario. I think if a new head coach comes in, he's mostly bringing in a totally new staff with him. Maybe he tries to keep like Larry Johnson around because Larry Johnson's a guy who's hard to replicate. Um, but otherwise I think that new coach cleans house. And if you clean house on the staff, I think you lose a lot of players and thus aren't in a position to do what Ohio state did the last two years. I wonder that would be a pretty good story to get the, to get the pen out, but like how uh, many players on average defect from a program during a coaching change. And I think that sometimes it's more drastic than others. Um, but I think that's an interesting, interesting discussion because it's like, if you look at just like above average coach, like who, like you would say that Matt Campbell's an above average coach, but just like slightly above the average line. Cause like, yeah. I would disagree with that, but like, he's not only like, he's not, he's below the like elite line. I think like we did like the conversation, like top 10 coaches in college football, and if there were tiers, like I think he's probably on the third tier, maybe close to the second. But what tier, is Ryan Day tier. before he takes the job? Like we put Ryan Day on the elite yeah, that's tier now as a res- as a result of it. But like you can't give Ryan Day the elite label from day one. It's right. like if, like you said, like if, if Ryan Day went and took over Iowa or 
Michigan State, for instance, like I don't know that they would be in the playoff. I don't even know if we would be talking about him at all as much as maybe we talk about Mel Tucker. And it's just like, to me, like when I think of like above average coach, but not elite, like the first person that jumps into my mind is James Franklin. And it's like that, you know, maybe he's closer to elite than average because of, you know, what he's done and, and, and not to uh, promote myself, but I'm working on a story about um, how every coach has improved their team's recruiting results in the power five. And James Franklin's is like 13 spots. So like you get a lot of credit for that, but like, I think that the success that Ryan day had was rocketed by what urban Meyer built. And then Ur- Ryan day got a bunch of cachet right off the bat as like, he's got this as a result of the stack ro- roster that he inherited. And then that compounded itself. If you bring out uh, an outsider to do that, I think that like an average coach doing the bare average um, at Ohio state is still a 10 and two record because of the built in recruiting advantages, the resources, the expectations, but like, I think Ryan day is an above average coach who started in above average situation, but I don't know that I would think that another coach wouldn't be one or two games worse than him. If he was just an average coach, because like the, the, what is Ohio state's roster? Like assuming that they only lose what, let's just say, seven players off of the roster that they were like, they wouldn't have recruit. They probably wouldn't have improved the recruiting, which is an insane thing, but they probably would have only lost maybe one and a half more games over those two years. And Ohio state did based on what they were had on the field. You put the Justin Fields thing into the mix and it gets a little bit murkier because talent acquisition as a result of a coaching hire is certainly something that like you need to take into account, but I don't know if Ryan day's results are like five games better than an average coach would be with that roster and that schedule? No, I don't. I, I think it's a fascinating question. I'll ask Rudy, like the exact roster Ohio State's had the last two years, how many coaches ballpark do you think would have gotten Ohio State to the playoff? Um, to the playoff? I think it's a pretty high number. I think like what you said, winning the Big Ten with Ohio State's roster isn't that hard. And that's almost an automatic bid to the playoff. But if you're looking at the number of coaches that can beat Clemson or win at least one game in two years in the playoff, I think that's a lot smaller number. I don't know if it's like 15, but I think Ryan Day is definitely up there. 15 to get to the playoff? No, to win a playoff game once you're there. Yeah, because I think that's a really good distinction, Rudy, because I think the amount of coaches that could get that Ohio State roster to the playoff is like 60. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> to win a playoff game, you have to have that next level. And it's like talent, as much as I scream into the abyss, and Rudy, you know this if you've listened to this show at all, I just scream about talent is like 80% of the battle. Game plan, as we found out in the national championship game, and properly motivating players, managing those players, all the things that you have to do to win a playoff game, I think is is exponentially more uh, difficult than winning Penn State game. Um you know, the thing that is most fascinating is that Ryan Day has improved Ohio State's recruiting. Like out of all the things, I mean, because I think you could make the argument that Ryan Day stepped in day one and was already a better game manager, game planner than Urban was, at least at the end of Urban Meyer's Ohio State tenure, at least from a creativity standpoint. But the columns that I wrote back in the day when this change was happening was how is Ohio state going to maintain its cusp of Alabama greatness? If they're going to put in a coach that can't recruit like the greatest recruiter or one of the greatest recruiters of all time. And it's like, it's better. It's like, what the hell? That was almost a hard F by the way. Cause it's like, where, <laughs> like, what is the, re- it's point one classes or point one spots better per class because you can't really improve on average from like right. three. But there is a even even the slightest improvement. I thought it would be a a huge victory for Ohio State if Ryan Day recruited ten percent worse. So the fact that they are like not only matching what he did, but now putting together classes with twelve top one hundred players in or whatever it was last year, is the most shocking thing that I think you could have come up with because nobody would have predicted that. Yeah, and I think the so like the conversation today is about parity in college football, right? There's only like. Three, you can pencil three teams into the playoff almost every year. Um, and I think you could easily make the argument that if Ryan Day had come in and his first recruiting class was like 20th or something, Ohio State is not one of those three teams because it is a very narrow edge 
or a, a needle's edge between being one of the programs that is among that elite and that all elites bunch or all elite prospects bunch to, or if you're just like a Tennessee or just some other team that almost had it and then fell off a little bit. I think it's. Do you mean Ryan Day's 2019 class, the one that he inherited, or the one that he this first full one in 2020? His first full one, the first one that was fully his. Like if he had had a poor recruiting class, you could easily say that the Buckeyes. Uh, they just aren't one of those teams in the end. That's correct. And like the fine line between number five overall or number three overall or shit pushing for number one overall is much different than it being number 12 or number nine even. And like, if you even look at the gap between number four and number seven, it's pretty huge. Um, and like the fact of the matter is, is like he's pushing Alabama for the number one spot in in the country. And I think Regardless of what you see in the 247 composite rankings, Ohio State in three years, you could look back and say, we'll have one of the greatest classes of all. Like now it's about development. But it's just like the idea is I'm just so fascinated by the idea of like, what would Ohio State be if it hired somebody and didn't have Ryan Day in the mix? And like I talked to Gene Smith about this during the the transition and they wanted to get somebody who was familiar with the program, who learned from urban, who was in the program, who didn't shake things up and didn't change what urban built because it was so perfect. But it's like, who would the candidates be if Ryan day didn't exist? Like, are we talking like Matt Campbell was probably one of them. Um, you know, Bob Stoops, maybe Do you remember the, the candidate time. list from like urban before urban. It's like Jerry DiNardo and like uh, <laughs> what, who, the Nebraska, Bo Pelini. Like, I mean, it's not an e- There are not a lot of elite level coaches with that cachet available. So it's like if you hired a middle of the run coach who might have had ties to Ohio or, or whatever, I think you have a team that's basement is 10 and two and a, and a playoff ceiling, but basements are so far more easily realized than the ceiling. So you know, I think that Ryan Day has been good for a win or a win and a half a year. And like, that's the difference between excellent and being in that top tier and being a mediocre team or, yeah. or, or, or an average team or an yeah. average top level team. Cause like that's Penn state. Cause I, that's what we're just describing. We're describing Penn state. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm curious, Rudy, with what this conversation does. Cause it, in my opinion, it makes Ryan Day really hard to analyze because I don't know if you can ever get a true read just sort of on, on how good he is. I don't know if we ever will because I think this will always sort of linger behind him um, because he was kind of born on third base, I guess, as, as a head coach. Um, but on the other hand, I do like think he's a pretty sharp football mind. Like I, I do respect his football acumen more so than I do a lot of coaches and and. I don't really know why that is because like he came to Ohio state to play with a bunch of talent and did well here. And it's not like there was anything in his past that, that made me think that he was like far and above like the average coach in that realm. But for some reason I, I view him in that way. I'd like, do you view him in that way too, as a fan, like where the recruiting piece is one thing, I guess, like maintaining the culture that was in place is another, but then like on the field, X is a nose football acumen. How do you view him? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. He just has one of those demeanors of, confidence like he's a guy you can put your confidence in and I'm sure that that helps him in the recruiting realm as well but yeah I feel like he's a a coach who goes at things with aggression and uh, players respect that players want to get behind that so I think that's really helped him I think I think he's a, a good coach in terms of X's and O's like like you said he might even have a leg up on Urban in that regard so yeah I definitely think he's a, a top tier coach in that, in that realm as well you know what's so funny to me is that these dudes are paid in between two and seven million, ten million dollars a year. And like the fact that you could even question football acumen of any of them is just such a joke. Like, and I know that yeah. there are tiers of being able to design an offense or a defense, and there's some brilliant people, there's some visionaries, but like, shouldn't every head coach in college football be like A plus in X's and O's? Yeah, like, and I, I think it's I, it, Blows yeah, my mind. Bill. I think you're right, and I think sometimes I think sometimes we we couch it maybe wrong than we should because like all these guys know ball for the most part, but it's like it goes back to kind of what Rudy said, like when you're in the moment, when you're on the sideline in the game, like can you push the right buttons? Like do you know when to be aggressive, when not to be, um, when to call a specific player or not? It's like everyone knows they they all have PhDs in football, you know what I mean, but having a feel for things on the sideline. During yeah. I think the game, temperament in X's and O's is different, right? Yeah. It's different. It's all kind of intertwined, but I think it's, I think it's different to have your finger on the pulse like that. And I think the, by and large, Ryan yeah. day is at it. The guy who has the balls to go for it on fourth down in certain situations, 
the guy that is confident that he's going to be able to throw the ball in third and short. I think that there are certain diff- there are certain types of uh, temperaments developed based on the team that you have, but it's just like also, and this is the reason why it's so hard to grasp what Ryan Day is. It's like Ryan Day has also had the luxury of having 15 first round draft picks on his, on his team at any given time. Mm-hmm. Every year he's been a head coach and it's just like, it's so much easier to go for it on fourth down when your left tackle is going to be a first rounder, you know? And it's just like, I don't know if you were the head coach at Iowa state, what it would be like, you know, and maybe it's a different conference and a different style of football, but you know what I mean? Like if you have a mediocre, when I use mediocre, I mean, average uh, team, I think that your temperament as a coach probably shifts because of it. And it's just like, you know what it, it just reminds me of, and you're probably going to laugh at this, but it's really hard to buy a house without your parents' help right now. <laughs> um, and you can buy a nice house if your parents give you 50% of the down payment or 100% of the down payment. You can live in a nice house, and then as that house appreciates over time, you can flip that house and get a bigger house and then do that. But without the initial bump of money, you never would have had the house that you started with, and then you wouldn't end up in the house that you were when you were 50. So it's just like I wonder – if that is um, the same thing with a college program where it's like Ryan day might turn into Nick Saban in 20 years. You don't know that, but like, you'll never know the answer of what would Ryan day be and what would he become if he started from first base instead of third? Yeah. Yeah. To put it in, in maybe different terms, I think I've heard people talk about it in terms of, are you a program builder or are you a program sustainer? And Urban is like the ultimate program builder, right? He did it, you know, four schools or whatever. And then there are other coaches, you know, Nick Saban's kept it going for how many years? So I think we'll we'll definitely learn soon enough how good Ryan Day is as a program sustainer, but we might never know if he's a good program builder. He could be a Hall of Fame coach without never building one. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And I think if he ever goes to the NFL, which I think he probably will someday, um, not anytime soon, but maybe we'll get a better feel for that then. But if he just – he could coach at Ohio State for 30 years. Like, I mean, he's certainly possible. If he never gets that itch to go to the NFL, where else is he going to go? Especially if they don't lose a Big Ten game for nine years. Right, yeah. So I think that – I think I've said that before too, Rudy. Like, you might never – that's something – it's like a very important part of a coach's resume, I think, when, like, you're trying to evaluate greatness and it's and it's a, a data point that we might never get on Ryan day that will make him like infinitely fascinating to discuss forever. Yeah. Let me, let me push back a little bit though. And I, I, cause I don't want, I guess I'd like to think sometimes like, what if Ryan is listening to this and like, I'm sure he has. Hey Ryan. And what's up, Ryan. Uh, Yeah. I don't want him to be like, well, that's bullshit. I like he has improved their recruiting rankings. And I think that as this team is situated right now, you could make a case that they are more primed in that discussion of Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, maybe not Georgia, but you know what I mean? The, the top tier of the top tier, they're more perfectly situated in that discussion than they were in 2016 and 17 and 18. Well, let me so ask like, well, yeah, there is an element of build there in the sense of culture expectations. Not that that wasn't in place before, but I almost feel like the recruiting demand and the recruiting results of what you expect from Ohio state now have almost advanced. It's like if Ohio State doesn't sign 12 top 100 players now, it's like, what the hell? And like, that wasn't even the case when Urban was there. So I know that Urban like built the foundation and like built the house, but I think that Ryan Day built an expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Or he renovated it a little bit. Yeah. And put some yeah. hardwood in there, or, you know, maybe yeah. put a little pool back there. You know, he little, did some crown molding. I, yeah, I don't want it to be like he, his dad bought him the house. His dad just gave him a big down payment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'll ask Rudy this because you're an Ohio State fan. I think Ohio State fans would have would have had a reason to be concerned about where Ohio State stood among the best programs in the game and its ability to win a national title in 16, 17, 18. How do you feel about the program's ability to contend for a national title now compared to the last two or three years of Urban's run? Um, that's a good question. I think now, if you're being re- realistic, you have to admit Ohio State's a step behind Alabama. Uh, depending on your thoughts, you could make the argument that Ohio State's level with Clemson or that it's a little behind. Um, during the, the best years of uh, Ohio State during Urban's time, you know, 2014, 2015, they were obviously, well, I guess 2015, they were the favorite, 2014, not so much. Um, but I think overall, um, Ohio State is firmly in that top three now. Um, but probably third. And I think in Urban's uh, tenure, they bounced around a little bit more. Like they had, they had some down years, um, especially in like 2018, I think. Um, but I think Urban's kept them pretty steady, like number three throughout. So I'm interested to see if he can move up or if he'll move down. But uh, he's definitely been steadier, perhaps. Why would you put them at three? Well, I guess I'm, I'm thinking historically, um, maybe that's not fair to Ryan. Um, over the past five years or so, you know, Clemson's won two national championships, and I feel like generally they've had more success in the playoff. Um, but, you know, since, since Ryan started, they're one and one against Clemson, so maybe it would be fair to put them tied for second. Uh, I think, way, Not to interrupt you, but the way that I look at it, and maybe this isn't the way that you guys look at it, but here's how I look at it. If you were to put money into a stock right now, today, and know that it was going to go up the most, I mean, maybe not the most because they're already towards their ceiling, but like if you thought right now that you'd put your money in a stock the way it's situated right now, would you pick Clemson or Ohio State moving forward from today? Hmm. I, I might go Ohio State, and the determining factor with that might be Quinn Ewers, assuming yeah. they, they get him on campus. You know, he's just such an incredible prospect. Um, if it wasn't for him, if they if he wasn't in their recruiting class, I don't know who I would pick. I might go Clemson. I think it's Ohio State in a landslide. They just beat their ass in the playoff by 100 and have recruited better than them. I yeah. Think it, yeah, I would pick Ohio State as well. Because if, if you're going to tell me that Ohio State's going to basically recruit as well as it has recruited over the last decade, but also now start recruiting first-round talent at quarterback, which I guess like Clemson is going to record, recruit good quarterbacks too, but – Ohio State recruits better than Clemson on the whole. I think I'd pick Ohio State. Well, Clemson was already doing that. I think Clemson's elite level recruiting at the quarterback position has made up for deficiencies elsewhere. And also they've been the best talent evaluators in the country. So it's kind of hard to like look at Clemson's class and go, well, it finished five, then Ohio State finished two. Then that's a big difference because Clemson has shown that they can go from, you know, there's only been three three teams in the modern era of recruiting who have won a national championship in each of the four or without having signed a top 10 class in the, each of the t- previous four years and Clemson did it twice. And that's uh, and the third one was Auburn with Cam Newton. And like, that is an absurd stat for like talent evaluation. But in terms of the way that I view Ohio state as a program and the way that they've accumulated talent. Also, I think uh, another piece of the equation too, is that I think Dabo has his own set of recruiting rules that I'm assuming are going to shift in the near future now that there's transfers, but he doesn't take transfers very often either. And it's like, he has to be willing to adapt and accept the portal as a main builder of their talent pool, or he's going to get left behind. And like, I would trust Ryan day's temperament to trust the portal more than Dabo's right now. So like most recent matchup, raw recruiting results and more, uh, willingness to adapt, you know, as like probably with Justin Fields, he can make the argument as one of the visionaries of it. Uh, in those three realms, I think that like you have a clear answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah Moving fair. forward, but Clemson has absolutely accomplished more in the in the playoff. They have two national titles, and like that's the thing that I tell Bill all the time. It's just like 
at a certain point, Ohio State can't just be the second best team every year. Like you have to win a national championship to get back on there. And like, dude, like I just uh, I just bought a house here. Thanks, Dad. And I uh, am remodeling the office. And what we're doing in the office is taking pictures of uh, stadiums that I've been to. And it's like we framed the Oregon game. And it's like that feels like a freaking lifetime ago. And I don't know if it's just like life circumstance, but like 2014 might as well be 2010 to me or 2005. It's like at a certain point, they've got to break through and win another national championship. And I think that's going to happen in the next two or three years, but you can't, you know, have a three year period where you don't make the playoff, uh, lose a heartbreaker to Clemson, then get your ass kicked in the national championship game and then get to continually be number two. Like at a certain point to sustain that you have to get over the hump. Yeah. And I think that was my rationale for maybe giving Clemson an edge uh, over Ohio state. Like if you're looking forward, it would be easier to put Ohio state ahead of Clemson, but I, I think I was primarily looking backward and they've won two national championships. Since mm-hmm. the last one. So yeah. And having the hardware is having the hardware. Like, I don't think you're wrong. Nobody can ever take those trophies out of the case unless somebody commits an NCAA violation and then they can <laughs> vacate the wins and nobody gives a shit. But like, you know, the, 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 the trophies are in the case. So, you know, but with Quinn Ewers coming in and, not just that, the, the way that Ohio State's recruited and, and developed the, the quarterback position, not to mention that they just signed the greatest class of all time at the same year that Alabama also signed the greatest class of all time and like narrowly nedged them. Like, is Ohio State going to have a top 10 class again this year? Like, yeah, of course they are. Are they going to have a, a mega class like last year? I think that's the expectation, right? It is. It looks like they're going to have one. I mean, we'll know better in a month or so, but where they're situated right now, I don't, I don't see how they're any worse than third when the final rankings come out unless they end up taking like 17 guys which i guess is possible but i don't i still think they'll take a class of at least 20 guys yeah so all right where to next rudy okay so give me a couple players for ohio state that you think are underappreciated and we'll set it since urban started i i think i gave you a number of three players but i think i only have two i'm i'm passionate about okay Okay. well since you said yours was so obvious bill like how do we do it so we not we're not cheating like let's let rudy go first and then i'm gonna like scream my guy as hard as i can and wake the neighbors up if they're sleeping okay okay like i said i only have two i'm passionate about so i'm going to go straight to my number two and, and that's jt uh i he gets a lot of crap from a lot of people uh i don't i'm not trying to say he's justin fields um but I think when you're a three or four year starter and you win as many games as he did and you take him to the playoff and all those many things that you just can't, you can't hate on the guy as much as you do. So that's my number two. Yeah. He was number one for me. I thought he was the obvious one and he, he's a hard guy to talk about. He's very polarizing. I get that the quarterbacks that have succeeded in him have been better, have been better than him. But I think there's also like a little bit of revisionist history that happens with JT because of that. Like that guy was really good. He was a he really make, good college quarterback. He did not make my list. Yeah, <laughs> I think he gets appreciated just enough for how good he was. I think he gets shit on. I think if you put up a poll right now and asked a thousand Ohio State fans who's your favorite quarterback of all time, he might get forty percent, and he's not even the fifth best one of the Urban Meyer era. Like, I think that's over credit. You think he get forty percent? I think a lot of people love JT. Look at you both. That's that's sixty percent of this chat right now. <laughs> I said he's underappreciated. I think he's my favorite. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying, like, I think that people remember JT very fondly. Like JT Barrett will never pay for a drink in Columbus ever again. We talked. I think that. I think. Okay. Well, I'll tell you my number one. All right, Braxton Miller. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. The guy's got a mural painted outside of a Starbucks on High Street. Well, some guy did that. (laughs) I've never seen a person play the game of football the way he played it. Period. I think people appreciate Braxton's talent, but like he didn't get to see it through. He got hurt. I don't know. I just, I feel like if you talk about great quarterbacks in Ohio state's history, Braxton Miller's name isn't even discussed. And I think he's the best one of all of them. Maybe not Justin Fields, but like he was so freaking good. And maybe it was because it was like when I was early on in my journalism career and like watching that stuff, but like, and you know, I've gone on rants about this all the time, but like, come on, like that guy was so insanely good. And I think that you could probably say that Braxton Miller achieved more with the least amount than anybody in, in the Urban Meyer era. Because, yeah. of course, that was the worst team that he had because he hadn't built it yet. 
I mean, he was undefeated the offense, right? Twenty twelve. Yeah, it was. They went undefeated their... with a team that probably should have lost five games because of him and his inability to be hit. But like, it's yeah. like funny because it's like now we've morphed into this ongoing debate about how how I feel about the quarterback position. Like Bill and I have yelled at each other about this for years, but like, I think that more people, if you, I think if you asked an, a general fan, who do you f- remember more fondly for the nat- for playing quarterback, more people would pick JT because they won a national championship in a year where he started. They might. I'm going to put a poll on Twitter. Are you? Yeah, I'd be very curious. No, yeah, I want I'm you to do it because people know how I feel. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's go because we we've hashed this quarterback. Who else is on your list, Rudy? So my number one, uh, it, it's maybe a little bit of recency bias because they they I feel like they really missed him last year, and that's Jordan Fuller. Uh, I feel like they they really needed a solid tackler, a guy you could count on, really on the back end of the secondary last year. Uh, they they started with Marcus Hooker that didn't go so hot and that really impacted I feel like every area of the defense um, starting with the the corners and then maybe even going down the the linemen because you just don't have the confidence that if a running back gets to the second level he's stopping at the second level um, so I I feel like Jordan Fuller was a real star uh, I don't know if anyone keeps track of the NFL but he was a sixth round draft pick and he was starting I think week one for the Bears. Uh, so he, he seems like someone who just does not get enough credit for the su- success uh, that the defense had two years ago. Yeah, he's a good one. And you really, you, you noticed his absence last year for sure. Um, not that he could have come back anyway, cause he was a senior in 2019, but he was great. He was, he did exactly what they needed him to do. I don't think there's much flash of Jordan Fuller, but if you were to design a safety to play in this particular defense, I think he'd look a lot like Jordan Fuller. Consistency, um, consistency wins flashy doesn't always. Yeah. My uh, my guy, I guess he's number two on my list. It's like kind of like a similar idea, and I don't know. Maybe they won't feel his his loss as much next year. Um, but I feel like the last couple of years, I've been like a big Pete Werner guy, and feel like I've been like screaming into the void sometimes, trying to tell people how good Pete Werner is. And then he was like the 60th pick in the draft, so like I felt vindicated by that. And maybe that's just the Saints loving Pete Werner, but like that guy was a really good player, and I feel like never quite got his due from the fan base. Pete Werner's my three. Um, I was on the phone. I think I said this on another podcast, or maybe I said it to you when we were just talking on the phone, but I was talking to a player personnel director, just shooting the shit. And like, he goes, Pete Warner should have been a five-star prospect. That guy is awesome. And I think that Pete Warner got lumped into the tough Borland linebacker hatred when he didn't deserve to be in it. So like for a really good player, maybe not somebody who's going to be like on anybody's mural in there, but I think he's going to be a very productive NFL player. And I think people are going to see how good of a player he actually was. Um, do you want me to give me you my number two since we agreed? Well, I want to hear Rudy. Rudy seemed to give you a, a nod of approval there when you said that point about oh, Pete oh. Warner and Tough Borland. So, Rudy, are you you're in on on the Pete Warner love? Yeah, I, I thought about putting him in. Uh, I couldn't get quite as enthusiastic, but I think when people saw two linebackers who are big, big white guys who've been in the program forever, yeah. they just kind of. They kind of see him as the same, but their results were completely different. I, I, I'm with you. I think Pete Warner was an excellent player who didn't get nearly enough respect. I think there was some of that too during the draft coverage. Like people were talking about Pete Warner, and I think they were actually watching Tough Borland with some of the things they were saying about him. I was like, I don't know. I think you know who you're talking about. Um, all right, Ari, who's your third guy? I actually think that he might be well because like Pete was my third, Braxton was my who's one. Your, who's your two? But like I think the number one really is Curtis Samuel. Like I. One. I, I don't know if people realize or remember how freaking good that guy was. Like he carried an entire team as a non quarterback to the playoff. Like he was the entire offense that year. Yeah. And like, obviously the season didn't end very well, but name another player. Like if you think like who are the best skill position players of the urban Meyer era, like you might make it to 10. I don't know, maybe not 10, but five without even thinking about Curtis Samuel. You might think like Michael Thomas and the quarterbacks and Ezekiel Elliott and, you know, some of the guys that they've had at receiver, you know, but like Curtis Samuel ran the ball a lot that year too. Like, I mean, he was Curtis Samuel was their best running back and best receiver in 2016. No player in my lifetime. Do I think has been Ohio state's entire offense. That wasn't a quarterback the way he was. And he was, he was like the, he wasn't Percy Harvin. But like everyone was obsessed with that idea when Urban got here, and like he was the closest we got to like realizing. I would idea. say that he realized it 
because matching Percy can't be the the standard. Right. right. I think in terms of how he was used in production, I think it's, it's all yeah. Far. yeah. And also he has one of the most iconic moments in Ohio state history. So yeah. like, but like, if you think who are the best players of the urban Meyer era, I think you might best players. You might get out of the top 15 before you get to Curtis Samuel. And it's like, I think he was a lot better. And, and I think part of the reason too, is that he's not a star in the NFL. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he got there eventually, sir, per, but you know, the idea to be, I hope people get that reference. Do you get it? <laughs> sir, per, I got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, you call him that? If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, Rudy, go type in Serper into YouTube and you'll uh, you'll get a little Curtis Samuel laugh. But like he, to me, is one of the best players of the Urban Meyer era and will never make the list because there were more flamboyant personalities, I think, or more iconic moments in big games. And like the 2014 team was stacked. Like you might think Nick Bosa, like, like honestly, like name the best players of the Urban Meyer era. You might even get a few JTs in there. I think if you said list, if you told people to list the best players, offense or defense of the Urban Meyer era, you'd get. I don't know if you get outside the top ten without someone saying Curtis Samuel's name, but you might get close. And I think he maybe should be like up in the like top five. It's like I know Ezekiel Elliott rushed for seven hundred yards in three games and won a national championship. And like you'll never like knock Zeke off of people's like fanhood, but it's like when you look at like what Curtis Samuel meant to an individual team, no single player has meant more. Rudy, yeah. where were you when Curtis Samuel ran into the end zone against Michigan in 2016? I was just about to say, I have a soft spot in my heart for Curtis because during the 2016 Michigan game, he was running straight into my arms uh, during that overtime. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. That was my favorite memory as a student uh, sitting sitting during that game. So, yeah, I think Curtis Samuel gets dinged a little bit. because You were in that corner of the end zone? Yes, sir. He was running right at me. That's that cool. A, That's a cool memory. Yeah. It was, that stadium was shaking. I loved it. Where were we? Were we on the field? I was no, not. No, we I weren't. Was, we weren't because we had to file a story right away and the game wasn't over. Yeah, it was such a nail biter that we couldn't like go down to the field. So I was in the press box with you. But that was I mean, it's Angst. the best game. It's the best game I've ever seen in person, but like also the best probably singular moment that I've seen with my own two eyes. I first. think it was also the most stressful moment of my journalism career. Yeah. Well, outside of some of the scandal stuff, but like there's in that so moment, much, so much narrative that would have come with Michigan beating Ohio state. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. I had like Michigan seven words game. written and I had like, just to give you background of our jobs yeah. at cleveland.com, Rudy, we had to have like 600 word stories written and posted right as the clock hit zero. And like, if Michigan would have won that game, how much you would have to write in those 500 words would have been so much. And I had like, I had like two stories going, but until like when he when they would have like measured um, Ohio State as uh, short, short, I would have been screwed because like yeah. I would have had nothing. <laughs> I think we all would have been. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you know that was I'll never forget that game. Yeah, yeah. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that that game was also my favorite because um, my now wife and I were at that game together. We were like dating for a week, so. That uh, that game nice. really bonded us emotionally as well. Love that. <laughs> Did the rest of the night go well? Love that. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. She's your wife. That's amazing. That's a cool story. And I don't know how you guys did this list. Um, I just went through the recruiting classes and, like, looked at names. I looked through like, – I did that really and I looked at some – I looked at some stats too. The only the, one other guy that I thought of was Jacoby Bourne, who I, I think people like appreciate him for who he was, but that guy was tough as shit and like really undersized for the position he was playing. He was a, he was a very good two year starter in the middle of two very good offensive lines. And Ohio State has like developed this reputation of developing centers pretty well, but it seems like people kind of just go back to Pat Elfline and stop there when it's like Bourne was that and like Lindsley was before that too, but like Jacoby Bourne like kind of gets forgotten in that conversation and like he wasn't an nfl player i get that i get why he's not part of that lineage but he was very good like he bridged the gap between lindsley and pat elfline and he was really good when he did it looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100 guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I got a, a few more that were on my list. I had John Simon, and I know some of these guys were a part of it. I had Tyvis Powell was one of them because I thought he was a really good player and a three-star prospect. And I don't know people, he was such a personality and he was in Cardale Jones's atmosphere, but he might've been part of it. And I think that a lot of the players, I think you can name the seven players that committed to him uh, or that, that he kept committed to Ohio state that committed when there was turmoil in that list too, yeah. because without those seven, and those seven players, I think Tyvis was one of them, right? I believe um, so. yeah. They wouldn't have, you know, was it the what did what did Doug call him the the Urban the Seven or, something, or the Fickle Six? Yeah. yeah, those six players, kind of. And like the thing is, is that they wouldn't have gotten Ohio State offers if Urban put the entire class together. And like all of them turned out to be productive, too. It wasn't just like a symbolic "we believe in the program" type thing. It was like Tyvis Powell was like an important defensive back to national championship runs. You know. Yeah. So, and I, I just don't know if people, as years go by, and the Urban Meyer era is now in the rearview mirror, remember how critical the 2011 to 2012 transition was and like the players behind that who had faith in Ohio state before urban was the face of the program. I had, uh, I had Joshua Perry, which maybe he's, he was like a first team all big 10 guy had almost 300 career tackles. Um, but I think maybe people appreciate him. The one guy I wasn't sure on, cause I didn't cover him and I was just looking at the record books and like Philly Brown is top 10 in receiving art, receiving receptions and program history. Um, I don't know how he's viewed by people. Like I don't, he was productive, but was, how do people look back on Philly Brown, Ohio state receiver? I don't know if I'm making this up in my head because the games kind of run together. Maybe you'll remember this Rudy. I know you might not even been in college yet, but I think Philly Brown had a major drop in the 2013 big 10 championship game. Am I remembering that correctly? I don't know. I get him and Noah Brown mixed up. So your guess is good in mine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but Philly Brown, I guess, like statistically wise, uh, was a really productive player. But, you know, you don't think about him when you think about like, you know, I almost said Terry McLaurin because I used to think he sucked. Like I used to tell Landis in the press box, that guy sucks. And like now he's like a top 15 receiver in the NFL as a rookie. Like, you know, I'm and, and you know, I think it's easy too, and I'm, I fall victim to this, guys. Uh, I like really take into account like recruiting rankings. And I know the three-star prospects can turn into all Americans, but like, I just thought he was a throw in. And then he turned out to be like the most important all around player uh, on pretty talented teams because of what he did in special teams too. So, you know, I don't know people, I'm sure people look back at it now that he's really good in the NFL and think, wow, he was really good. But like during his career, I thought he was super average till the end. And then he kind of exploded his senior year, but like he, you know, he made a jump that most people don't make. Like, if you're not amazing by the time you're a senior, you're usually not going to be amazing, but Terry McLaurin did that. Yeah, I was trying to yeah. keep NFL success out of that because I was tempted to put Michael Thomas on the list for the same reason. But, yeah, you're I've right. Got, I've got one more, too. Right. And this one probably should have made my list, but Devin Smith. Yeah, I was thinking. Like, that. Devin Smith was, like, a savage on that national championship team. And, like – Go turn on the Wisconsin tape, man. Like he is the reason Cardale Jones didn't fail. Yeah. I wonder if he gets I don't know if he gets forgotten. I think people respect him for the most part, but I think he fades out a little bit because Michael Thomas was also on the team and became such a good pro. And Devin Smith just his pro career hasn't worked out because Devin injuries. Smith was more important to the national title than than and I know Michael Thomas had that crazy catch in the sugar bowl, but like Yeah, Devin no, Smith, I agree for yeah. sure. Yeah, he was the most important player on the offense, I think. Well, either him or the offensive line combined yeah. i guess in 2014 so yeah all right rudy let's do one more you sent me four topics we've done two let's do a third you can pick uh out of the two remaining ones where how you want to end the show all right so i want you guys to predict the next team to win the big 10 besides ohio state and i'm not asking you necessarily for a time frame just what team you think will will break ohio state's ring from the big 10 i thought this is a really uh good premise and i went back and look i guess it's obvious but like since they went to east west the west hasn't won east has won every year 
So I think like my natural inclination inclination was like to pick a team from the West because who's going to unseat Ohio State? And then it's like, well, the only other times this has happened, it was because someone unseated Ohio State. But you pick a team from the West, it's because like they don't have to play Ohio State. And it might be one of those weird years where like it's Iowa, Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game because Ohio State lost a weird game and then you would pick the West team in that scenario. Yeah, I guess that I guess that's true. Like that, that's the scenario. I don't think I don't think I would pick a West team to beat Ohio State like to answer this question, but I could pick like I could pick Wisconsin to beat Michigan State, I, I suppose. Um I don't know. I thought this was hard, Ari. I, did you have an obvious answer? I guess like Penn State. I have a cop out answer. It was Penn State. Yeah. Yeah, Penn State's the second most talented team in the league, so I guess that's And the, the team that most one. recently did it. Yeah. Um Wisconsin with Graham Mertz is interesting. Um I was like all about Graham Mertz after his first game last year. And then they had a, they had a weird COVID year. So I'm not going to hold that against him, but if he comes out this year and looks how he looked at the beginning of last year before Wisconsin got shut down, I could become a believer in that kind of team fairly quickly. Cause I think that's true of a lot of teams in the West. It's like, they're good. They usually have really good defenses, but they're just not good enough at quarterback to beat Ohio state. And Graham Mertz, I think could, could, write a, a little bit different of a, of a story on in that regard you know a game was on tv on big 10 network this week that i rewatched, uh and now my future wife was at a hotel waiting for me to come home uh was the 2019 big 10 championship game when they played northwestern and mm-hmm. like northwestern was down 24 to 7 at halftime and then was tied or close or down three late in the third quarter and had the ball and it's just like i was thinking to myself like Ohio state's been on the ropes multiple times in big 10 championship games. And it's just like, I don't think that anybody in the West has enough talent on their roster to outlast them for fourth quarters on the stage like that. Like I, especially indoors. And then I thought to myself, you want to hear a funny stat or a crazy stat? Yep. This is the first time in program history that Wisconsin assigned a top 25 class this past year. Did you guys know that it finished number 14 overall and Nolan Rucci was a big part of that, the five-star Pennsylvanian who, who went there. Um, but I think to myself, like, Wisconsin has had Ohio State on the ropes before. Wisconsin owns the West, you know, and I don't know how much, you know, we want to give Northwestern the benefit of the doubt in terms of longevity. But, like, if they put together three recruiting classes in a row like last year's and finish in the top 15 three years in a row, that might – and that's why I brought up the Northwestern game – that might inch them close enough to win at one game in four quarters. Like if they play perfectly and like a team that's more talented, that was beating Ohio state by what, whatever it was two years ago at halftime. Like if they had two more top 25 classes in their roster, instead of the 31, 38 and the 42 or whatever it was, like they might've been able to outlast them for four quarters. I don't yeah. know. Wisconsin might be the best pick here because you might put them in a year where, they don't have to play Ohio State in the regular season. They make it to the Big Ten championship game and then play the perfect game. Yeah, I think that's possible. I just can't get like – I feel like every time we see Wisconsin and Ohio State get on the field together, it's just like Ohio State just ends up mashing them. Like after after a certain point, they're just like Ohio State's too good up front on both sides and Wisconsin can't handle it. Um, and it's just so – I think it's a wear down effect. They don't have the depth. Ohio State can just keep rolling guys and rolling guys and rolling guys, and Wisconsin doesn't have the depth. But I guess that would be addressed in your scenario if they were able to, right. to stack a couple of those classes together. But until that happens, I just can't. I can't get behind it. Um, is anybody buying Indiana? Anybody want to get on the Indiana train? Hey, who was? Who did? Remember when Iowa went undefeated a few years ago? In 2015. Yeah. Who did they play in the Big Ten championship? Was that Penn State or did they play Michigan State that year? They lost to Michigan State. Okay, and that game was like six three or something weird like that. I, I can't remember. Yeah, you and I had a pie at my house, and we're watching it. Remember, it was super low scoring. Uh, it was sixteen to thirteen, and then they went okay. and lost to Stan. They got their ass kicked by Stanford. Um, yeah, the Rose Bowl. Yeah, so it's like even the best season of any West team ended with a loss to an East team. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of like I think Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten for the next seven years. I mean, I would probably if you told me to pick that or the field, I'd probably pick Ohio State. I mean, Penn, if Penn State ever gets a quarterback, and I really like Drew Aller, I love like I, I think um, I'm writing a story where I'm talking to a bunch of high school coaches um, about recruiting in the state of Ohio. That's not going to be out until next month. Um, but one of them said that they were having a conversation with someone on the Ohio State staff, and they said any other year Drew Aller would be a quarterback that Ohio State would take. It just so happened they got Quinn Ewers. 
Um, and I believe that. Like, I think that kid's is is legit. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he's going to put like Penn State over the top, like national title contender. But I think that's been the missing piece for James Franklin since he's been there as an elite quarterback. And no, no team has given Ohio State a bigger problem. I mean, I guess you could say Michigan State, but like that was now six, seven years ago at this point. But yeah. you know, I, I feel like the year that Ohio State lost to Penn State and Penn State won the Big Ten is probably the most likely scenario in terms of how it would repeat. Did you have a team in mind, Rudy, when you uh, posed this question? Uh, yeah, so I kind of thought about what kind of recipe we would need in order for Ohio State to lose. And kind of what I thought of is if Ohio State got to the, the Big Ten championship game and they hadn't faced like an excellent quarterback all year and if their secondary was a little suspect then if they were going against a good offensive line I could I could see them losing that one game since they've been so uh up against the ropes in in recent Big Ten championship games and that that kind of sounds like Wisconsin versus Ohio State this year (laughs) because you know the secondary is a little weak uh I'm a I'm also a Graham Mertz believer um so I'm not saying I would pick Wisconsin to beat Ohio State if they were to play in the Big Ten championship game, I'm just saying if I had to come up with some sort of scenario in which Ohio State would lose, that would kind of be what it was. Even when Ohio State was up against the ropes in those games, they covered the spread. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It there it was not as close as perhaps it seemed. Yeah, but. and because I think the thing that Ohio State does is that it can play a game closely with these teams, and then when it goes off the rails for the other team, it goes off in a hurry. You know, it's like one crazy turnover, and then you've got two. T- like Ohio State can score fourteen points against anybody in the Big Ten in two minutes, and like change the entire outcome of a game. Um, I think that's but, become like a hallmark of Ryan Day's teams too. Like especially, like they just like they could pour it on you in like five minutes, and it's over. Yeah, like their ability to score quickly is, and it's part of Ryan Day's aggression. But it's like it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, did we have any? food topics today or like no we're i also the i also told rudy uh before we recorded that we were going to do like 20 30 minutes in shocker we're almost at an hour so i don't know Ru- rudy didn't have didn't come to the table with any food topics but if he would like to end on one we certainly could it's up uh, to him he's the producer i'll, I'll go on a 30 second rant because i think you guys have not given one fast food chain nearly enough respect oh god uh don't you dare okay i i just don't you dare say swanson's or i'm gonna come through there and smack oh, you in the gosh, face no, no, okay no. all right <laughs> last week you did a little better you acknowledged the spicy chicken sandwich but i think you guys have been completely slanderous towards wendy's the the chicken is astounding as a, a recently broke college student the four for four is the best deal in fast food do they even have the four for four anymore? Yeah, dude. I okay. Week. Okay. Um, I think Wendy's fries are complete trash. Yeah, that, there is that, and they're very inconsistent. And like, unless you get them right out of the cooker, if they get even remotely cold, they're terrible and almost inedible. I hate the fact that Wendy's is a a, a production. Every time you go there, you have to wait twenty minutes to get your food. And I don't know why that's the case, but it's the slowest fast food chain out of all of them. And they do have really good burgers and their spicy chicken sandwich is amazing. Like, I think they've got good food, but if you have really, really bad fries and you got to admit, like they keep changing them too. And they keep making them worse. Like, I don't know. I I think that people, maybe I'm like more anti Wendy's than ever, but like, if I'm like really hungry or like, I want to smash like fast food and I'm in that mode, like I usually don't have the patience to wait for it. Yeah. I won't defend the fries. The fries are pretty awful. Uh, maybe you're just going to the wrong Wendy's. And yeah, but I keep going to the wrong one in multiple states, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, but I've never you know, had that issue at right. Wendy's. I like. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Wendy's. I appreciate you bringing that up, Rudy. The thing that that annoys me about Wendy's, uh, I I think their chicken nuggets are the best. Like among like the core fast food franchises, so I would not like include Chick Fil A in that. I think Wendy's Chick Fil A or chicken nuggets are the best. But they also recently changed their barbecue sauce recipe, and it's terrible. And yeah. it used to be so good. So that really bothers me. Like I, it turns me off from wanting to order them because that's my go-to sauce. When I, I think you could make the case that Wendy's hamburgers are the best tasting of the core fast foods. Yeah. A big criteria for me is how gross do I feel after I eat it? And Wendy's usually does better than like a McDonald's or a Burger King. So yeah. we're big for the thing about Wendy's too, is that like their burgers are expensive as shit for what it is. Like, I don't know, like, if you just get a double stack, are those like a $1.99? But, yeah. like, 
those are those are pretty good. But like, if you want to get like any of the signature hamburgers, like the ones that are like Dave's Double, they're like that have like the real meat on them. Like those burgers are up to like eight dollars, and it's just like if I'm spending eight dollars on a hamburger, it's not at Wendy's. You know, like that's when you start getting into the fast casual stuff. So, like, I tried keto for a while and I didn't, I didn't finish it, but like I would go get the Dave's triple and just eat the hamburger meat. Like when I was in a jam and I thought that, that was really satisfying, but like, if you just go up to the window and say, can I have the Dave's triple? I think it's like $9. And it's like, oh. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go spend $9 on a fast food hamburger anywhere, you know? And I just feel like there's too many, but the thing about Wendy's is, is like, when I go, I have to like gear myself up to wait, but like, I'm ready to wait because I think they've got probably the best, I would take Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich over just about any other fast food sandwich. Like, I mean, like it's an amazing sandwich. It's quality. It's got some longevity to it at this point too. It's like a, it's like old faithful. You know what I mean? All this different yeah. shit keeps popping up. And like the Wendy's spicy chicken has always been very solid. When we did the thing last week where we had to like put together our best, uh, like the dream combo where you had four items, the hardest thing for me not to have on there was the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. And like Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich was good. Whataburger has a pretty good spicy chicken sandwich. And of course, Chick-fil-A is what it is. But like, I think I would take Wendy's number one. It's the best place chicken sandwich for my money. Rudy, you yeah. on board with that? I, I'm on board. It's excellent. All right. That's why you're a valued listener to 4 to 6th AMB. We appreciate it. Rudy, You, uh, I think you have a future in, in podcast programming. I thought these were some pretty good topics you brought to the board. So yeah, yeah. I, w- I was thinking to myself, like, this could go really, really bad, or this could go really, really good, and I think it went really, really good. Oh, thanks, so, man. Too. Appreciate yeah. it. So good job by you, Rudy. Good job uh, winning the bracket pool. Maybe you'll win next year. You can come on again with us, but uh, this was this was fun. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for uh, for listening to our podcast too. We appreciate you supporting us in that way as well. And thank you all for uh, listening to another episode of Four to Six with A and B. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.